We're glad that you're back tonight. Thank you for being here. We had a great morning and we appreciate so much you coming back tonight. We trust that our service tonight will benefit you and glorify God. We are looking tonight at Romans chapter 5 and we are continuing our study through key chapters in Scripture. And tonight we look at Romans chapter 5 in our study together. The book of Romans really is a tremendous book because it declares to us God's means of making people righteous. And the gospel is at the very heart of that. And so tonight as we look at Romans chapter 5, I want to talk a little bit about our relationship to the Lord because Paul is writing to Christians and he is emphasizing the tremendous relationship that they enjoy with the Lord. That relationship based upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary. And so as you look at Romans chapter 5, it is a pivotal chapter in the book of Romans. And so as we think about what Paul has to say in chapter 5, I want to begin our study tonight, and we're going to look at some excerpts in chapter 5, and we're not necessarily going to do it chronologically by verse, but I want us to look at Romans chapter 5 together tonight. And I want to begin by talking about the reality of sin. One of the things the Apostle Paul does in the book of Romans is makes a case for the sinfulness of mankind. Make no mistake about it, God has been very clear when it comes to sin and the magnitude of sin. So we talk about the clarity of sin. Now you remember Solomon. Solomon, of course a man renowned for his wisdom. Solomon, at the dedication of the temple in first, rather in 1 Kings chapter 8, in about verse 46, said that there is no one who does not sin. Solomon there affirming the fact that sin is a universal problem. So we come to the book of Romans, and in chapter 1, Paul chronicles the Gentile world. And Paul says, in effect, that the Gentile world, they're in sin. In chapter 2, he points out that the Jewish world, they are no better. They too are in sin. So then you come to chapter 3, and Paul begins to conclude his arguments. His conclusion is, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, he would say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so sin is a universal problem, not just a universal problem, but I would submit to you it is an undeniable problem. We go all the way back to the garden, and Paul here in Romans chapter 5 talks about the sin of Adam and the grave consequences of his actions in the Garden of Eden. And we'll talk about that in just a moment or two. But you think about the problem of sin. I know that we live in a day and time when people want to minimize the effects of sin. And there are some who have this idea that the whole concept of sin is just nothing more than preacher talk. Well, the fact of the matter is, sin is a reality. And every day when we get up on planet Earth, we see the effects of sin, don't we? In crime and theft, murder and rape and pillaging. I mean, the list goes on and on. So we see the devastating effects of sin. But then we think for a minute or two about the consequences of sin. Now, in Romans chapter 5, look at verse 12, if you would. Paul said, Therefore, as through one man 
sin entered into the world. That would be through the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And you remember Adam and Eve, Eve particularly? She believed a lie, she obeyed a lie, and as a result of that, transgressed the will of God, thereby bringing death into the world. The death that Paul is talking about in verse 12 is spiritual death. Listen again to what he said. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And then he said, and thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Now I know that there are people in the world today that have this idea that we inherit the sin of Adam. That is not the case. We are not born in sin. We are not born sinful people. Sin is a choice. It is a violation of the law of Almighty God. Listen again to what Paul said, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. For that all sinned. A little baby hasn't sinned. An infant that is born or that is stillborn never sins. That baby is innocent. Sin is the transgression of the law. and That's what really John said in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4 that those who commit sin transgress the law of Almighty God. Now, the word sin carries with it the idea a missing of the mark. And so God has a divine standard. When we transgress or transcross that law, what happens? We violate that law and thereby we sin. Sin entered the world through the transgression of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I would grant that we suffer in many ways because of their sin, don't we? The consequences of their actions. If anything, there has only been a proliferation of suffering and sadness and sorrow to the human family. Why? Because of sin, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So as we think about the consequences of sin, Paul says one of the consequences is spiritual in nature. In chapter 6, verse 23, you'll hear Paul say, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So there are two sides to the coin. On the one side, there's the hope of salvation. On the other side of the coin, there's condemnation. So sin separates us from God. Isaiah makes that case in Isaiah 59 in verses 1 and 2. The consequences of sin, spiritual in nature, but also physical in nature. Are there not a lot of folks in the world today who are suffering because of their own actions? because they have made decisions that have impaired their physical abilities and possibly even their emotional and mental abilities? Sure. When you see people that have abused their bodies with drugs, one of the consequences of that, physical heartache and all the problems that go along with that. You know, Paul in Galatians chapter 6 said in the long ago, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. There's a divine law. It's called sowing and reaping. 
It's true in the natural realm, and Paul said it's true in the spiritual realm. So when you sow bad seed, you can expect a bad harvest. So I think about how the consequences of sin affect us spiritually, yes. Physically, absolutely. But then what about emotionally? Do you remember Isaiah in the long ago in chapter 48 and about verse 22? Isaiah said on behalf of God, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You know, there are a lot of people in the world tonight. They will literally drink themselves into a drunken stupor to somehow escape bad decisions that they've made in life. Or they'll drink themselves into a drunken stupor to somehow escape a life that has been lived and been so destructive. There are people in our world today that are addicted to various forms of chemical substances and they use those as a means of emotional escape. But the reality is when they get up the next day or once the high goes away, back to reality. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 13, Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard. When you look at people who are suffering because of sin, you see the wretchedness of sin in all of its horrors. And bear in mind, Paul here in Romans chapter 5, he is emphasizing the heinous nature of sin and what sin has done to the human family. One sin in the Garden of Eden brought about cataclysmic changes for the human family, didn't it? So we think about the reality of sin, but then there's a second thought. It has to do with the remedy for sin. To recognize that God has a remedy for the problem of sin. Now, I want to look at a couple of verses with you. I want to begin by talking, first of all, about God's love for mankind. In Romans chapter 5, at verse 6, Paul said, When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. I can't begin to fathom the depth of the love of God. Can you? John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. That's His very nature. That is the essence of God. And here is God in heaven, the one who spoke this universe into being, that loved us to the extent that even though mired by sin and unrighteousness, He loved us enough to make it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with Him once again. Says something about His great love, doesn't it? You think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, the golden text of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then listen to Paul in Romans 5, verse 8. Paul describes God's love, the depth of that love. But then he shows how God demonstrated His love for us. How did He do that? Listen to him. God demonstrates His own love toward us. 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who wrote the book of Romans? Paul did. And Paul here is including himself in recognition that Christ paid the price for his sins. You remember, for example, over in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20, when Paul said he had been crucified with Christ, and then he speaks of Christ, he said, who loved me and gave himself for me. The fact that God loved us enough to send his Son from heaven to earth, to be pitted against the wickedness of man. The sinful world needed a Savior. And Jesus answered the call, didn't He? To understand that when we think about the love of God, God's love is behind the whole redemptive plan. Without that love, there would be no redemption. Do you remember the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 2? When he said, but God who is rich in mercy, listen to him, for the great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. Though mired and marred by sin, the Lord loved us. And because of his great mercy and tremendous love, made it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with him that had been severed by what took place in the garden. And so I think about God's love for mankind and then note, if you would, God's liberation of mankind. I want to begin by talking about the atoning work of Jesus. The word atonement means at one with. And the idea is here are people that have been alienated or separated who have now been reconciled back to the Creator. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, you remember Paul said, Therefore, being justified by faith. That takes us back to chapter 4 in verse 25. In verse 25, Paul said, speaking of Christ, He was delivered up because of what? Our offenses. And was raised for our justification. We're talking about the atoning work of Jesus on Calvary. Go back to the garden. Paradise lost. Calvary. Paradise regained in many ways. The finished work of Jesus. So as we think about the atoning work of Christ, the basis of the basis upon which we enjoy a relationship with the Lord is the blood of Jesus. Now, I want to go back for a minute and go back to the book of Leviticus. You remember in chapter 17, verse 11, Moses said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. But then he makes this point about the blood and those sacrifices that were offered under the Mosaic Dispensation. He said, it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. All of those Old Testament sacrifices, they were rendered or offered to God to atone for sins, were they not? The Day of Atonement, 
as Moses talks about in Leviticus chapter 16, where you had the high priest offering sacrifices not only for his sins and the sins of his family, but for the sins of the nation. And then you remember he would place his hands on the head of a scapegoat, thereby confessing the sins of the people, and then that goat would be carried out into the wilderness by the hand of a fit man, signifying the removal of sin from the camp of Israel. All of those Old Testament sacrifices prefigured or anticipated the coming of the Savior, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. We read about that in the book of Exodus chapter 12. And Jesus, as you well know, is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. Now, the Hebrew writer said in chapter 10 of his book that it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But the blood of Jesus, what the blood of animals could not accomplish, Jesus and his death on Calvary did accomplish. So what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5 is we are completely covered as a result of the blood of Jesus. So with that in mind, Note with me what Paul says, beginning in verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, He said, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now drop down, pick up if you would. In about verse 15, Paul said, The free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. And so what was lost in Adam regained in Christ. In verse 16 he said, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So now we're talking about the atoning work of Jesus and the shedding of His blood. The song that we sang a moment ago, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You remember the Bible says back in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Peter said we've been redeemed not with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a Lamb without spot and without blemish. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in Him, that is in Christ we have redemption, listen to him, through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So through the shed blood of Jesus, our sins have been atoned and we can enjoy reconciliation with God. So then Paul says in verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Many were made sinners. How were people made sinners following the transgression in the Garden of Eden? Well, the same way Adam and Eve sinned. They violated divine law. 
It was a choice. When we engage in sin, the root of it is choice. God has given us volition, the freedom to make choices in life. We have the choice to live in sin, or we can make the choice to obey the Lord. That's what Paul's saying here. You've got that choice. And so he said, As by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Now look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, Paul said, grace abounded much more. That little phrase there, much more, found repetitively in Romans chapter 5. And what was lost in the Garden of Eden, regained in Christ, but I would emphasize this, much more was gained in Christ. What Paul is saying is, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In other words, you can't out-sin God's grace and mercy and love, can you? If you're willing to submit your, will, your life to the will of Almighty God, can you enjoy forgiveness? Yes. And so Paul in verse 21 said, So that as sin reigned in death, that is spiritual death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the remedy for sin is Jesus. It's His blood. And it is through an obedient faith that we enjoy all the blessings and favors of God. Now I want to think very quickly and thirdly about redemption from sin. And I want to go back and look now at verse 1. In verse 1 of Romans chapter 5, Paul begins by talking about the position of a believer. Again, bear in mind, Paul is writing to Christians, isn't he? He's writing to saints who lived in Rome. And so Paul has already talked about how the gospel is God's power into salvation. They had demonstrated, according to chapter 1, verse 5, an obedient faith. And so Paul is saying, therefore, in light of the fact that Christ was delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification, Paul said, we have been justified by faith. That's a powerful thought, isn't it? Now, you know, we talk about justification. And really the idea is that when we are justified, we are exempt from the penalty due. Well, what was the penalty? Romans 6, 23, Paul said the wages of sin is death. But through the shedding of Christ's blood and the atoning work of Jesus on Calvary, we can enjoy pardon from sin, can we not? We stand, as we might say, from time to time, acquitted in the sight of Almighty God. And Paul said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherein, he said, we have access into this grace. Now, let's just pause here for a minute. You have God's side of the redemptive plan, don't you? And then there is a human response to God's redemptive plan. At the very heart of His redemptive plan is His love, as we noted a moment ago. Also add to that His great mercy, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But now Paul speaks 
of God's marvelous, matchless grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And faith is the corridor that leads us to access the grace whereby we enjoy salvation, right? Now think about this for a minute. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 1 said that grace is in Christ Jesus. Paul said that we access this grace through faith. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, Paul said, By grace have you been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing that I can do to merit my salvation. But rather, it is the free gift of God. God has lavished His grace upon the entirety of the human family. That's what Paul said in Titus chapter 2. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. That's the case Paul is making in Romans chapter 5. That where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. All right, how then do we access the grace that Paul talks about here? It's an obedient faith. Not faith alone, but rather through an obedient faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 1, Paul said that God's grace is in Christ. In verse 10, he said, salvation is in Christ. So if God's grace is in Christ and salvation is in Christ, then the question is, how do we get into Christ? And if we get into Christ, would it not stand to reason that then we contact that grace that saves? Well, the answer is yes. So how do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us, doesn't it? You remember in Galatians chapter 3, Paul said, You're all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Well, where's salvation? It's in Christ. How then do we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Where did Jesus shed His blood in death? John 19, 34 and 35. So then when we obey the gospel, put our faith and trust in Jesus, repent of sin, and then are immersed in water, we contact the blood of Jesus. Not just the blood of Christ, but also the grace of God. And enjoy all the benefits and blessings of salvation, do we not? What did Paul do in order to appropriate the provisions of God's grace. Did Paul know what grace was all about? Yes, he did. He wrote at length about God's grace. And yet, the Apostle Paul, in recounting his conversion to Christ, you remember in Acts chapter 22, he said that Ananias came to him. He's been praying and fasting for three days. He, he absolutely has a penitent heart. He believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Ananias then said, And now, what are you waiting on, Paul or Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. When the Apostle Paul obeyed the gospel, his sins were washed away. Well, what was the means by which those sins were washed away? The blood of Jesus. Was Paul 
a man renowned for his sin? Wasn't it Paul who said in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounds, grace did abound much more? And wasn't it Paul who said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. And by the way, in that context, he reminded Timothy that he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief, but the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul knew something about God's grace. And Paul recognized that through the riches of God's grace, mercy, and love, we can enjoy the benefits of pardon. And not just pardon, but as he said, peace with God. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Isaiah said, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Sin estranges it. Really, sin alienates us from God. We are estranged from God. As Paul would say, we're without hope and without God in this world. The difference, however, is Jesus. Because in Ephesians 2.13, Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are made nigh, brought near, by what? By what means? By the blood of Christ. And then listen to this, verse 14. For he is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition. When Jesus died on Calvary, he made it possible for us to enjoy reconciliation with God. In Ephesians 2, verse 16, Paul said, Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God by what means? The cross. So what do we have? We have pardon, we have peace. That's the position that we enjoy as a believer. We are somebody. Why? Because we belong to the Lord. Not only does he speak of the position of the believer, but the praise of the believer. Note if you would, drop down and look at verse 11. Paul said, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You remember when the eunuch obeyed the gospel as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 8? And what does the text say after he was baptized into Christ? Doesn't Luke say that he went on his way rejoicing? I mentioned the apostle Paul. Paul wrote the book of Romans. And Paul lived in triumphant praise to God for all that he had done on his behalf. In Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul talks about that plan that God had conceived before time began to redeem the human family through Jesus, he would say in about verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Paul praised God. Why? For all that he had done. And wasn't it Paul who wrote to the church at Philippi and Paul's in a Roman prison cell? And Paul said, we ought to rejoice in the Lord. He said, again, I say rejoice. Why? Because we're God's people. Because we belong to the Lord. 
and not just belong to the Lord, but we have been blessed by the Lord. And one day we will be with Him in heaven. Tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That fact has been established throughout the New Testament. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins and then be immersed in water, the assurance is all of your sins can be washed away. You can have pardon, you can have peace with God, and you can have that promised home that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause and we could pray with you and for you, why not come? Why not let us pray with you and for you so that you can leave, leave here tonight in the good graces of a gracious God as we stand and sing. Mm. There is a